So every, every year when Mother's Day rolls around, we talk about moms and we talk about, you know, mom's roles and mom's uh, responsibilities and all that kind of thing. And I, we just felt like this year, uh, because of the culture that we live in today, we, want, we don't want to just honor moms. We want to honor women in general. Listen, history has not been very kind to women. And sometimes even the church has not been kind to them. The word of God has been misused to put women down to support abuse, misogyny, which is an ingrained prejudice against women and other forms of ungodliness towards women. Folks, the word of God is not ungodly toward women. The pendulum principle, which of course is the uh, human desire that when we see something going bad one direction, we have a tendency to swing the pendulum way to the other direction, has caused the church in recent years to be more influenced by the social effort to correct some historical prejudices, uh, even more important than God's word, especially when people cannot resolve this tension that exists. How do we honor women and yet say there's roles for them? How do we do these things? Look, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. That's what Proverbs 4.12 says. I want us to see today the incredible value God puts on women and mothers And I want us to be influenced more by God's word than any other source, including our own sense of logic, folks. When our logic becomes higher than God's word, we've got a little bit of a misappropriation of authority in our lives. So while I do not dismiss the brain God gave us, we need to keep ourselves under the authority of God's word. Now, I used to do this with my Bible, but since I only use my Bible app uh, here on the podium anymore, I'm going to turn my Bible app on walking around under the authority of God's word. God's word tells me what to do. I don't tell him what to do. We've got to understand if we want to live godly lives and be followers of Jesus, we have to live with this in mind. So I'm not going to hold this up the whole time because I don't think I can, but I want you to think about the fact that we are all under God's word and should remain that way. So I want to point out a few things to you today in the short amount of time that we have. First is this, women are equally made by God. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I want us to see here, folks, that women are equally made by God. When this says, uh, when, the, when the Father says to the Trinity, let us make man in our own image. He's saying, let, him, let us make man different than the animals. Let's, let's give them the ability to have logic. Let's give them the ability to have relationships, to not just be uh, driven by their instincts, but to make decisions and live by those decisions. But we see there the word man was used several times. Every single time, it refers to mankind, which is all of us, except for the one time when it refers to both male and female. There are those who would even say that because Adam uh, was made first, that he somehow is, got preference 
or that he's more important or that men in general are more important than women. Folks, it's just ridiculous. When you look at the whole of God's word, women are equally made by God and we need to value them as such. Secondly, women have equal access to God. Galatians 3, 23 through 28 says this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Listen carefully. There is neither, neither, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Folks, this passage is very clear and it's specifically talking about people's access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. There's no male or female when it comes to access to God. Any person who puts their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross has access to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we've got to be careful because that, this verse is not saying there is absolutely no difference between men and women. It's saying when it comes to access to God, there is no difference. Women have every bit of the same access to God as men do. Men have the same exact access to God as women do. But it doesn't mean that there's no difference between men or women. You know, I, because of the culture we live in today, I almost wanted to pull out uh, the slides from my uh, junior high uh, phys ed class when they were talking to us about the difference between men and women and show it to you. But I know you all are smart enough to know that, right? I mean, we're living in a culture where people are saying, listen, there's no difference. Absolutely none. In fact, we're living in a culture where they're telling our children as early as first and second grade that they can decide which gender they are. It's interesting that they wave the science flag in certain times. And they... But folks, it's clear that men and women are very different. Listen, if you don't think men and women are different, you have never dated or never been married or never known anybody of the opposite sex. Okay? I mean, we're just different. But when it comes to access to God, when it comes to how we're created, when it comes to our relationship with him, folks, we're the same. We're the same. We have equal access. In fact, I would even say, uh, when I would tell you how I'm led by God, I would say that God's word speaks to me the loudest. God's spirit probably speaks to me next. And then God's spirit through my wife probably speaks to me third. <laughs> you know, she says some things sometimes and I'm like, wow, that's... That's pretty amazing. That's, that's from God. That's not from you. That's, I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing what you just said. Not that she can't be amazing, but I'm just saying, sometimes it's really profound that I'm like, God is using her to do that. Okay, so it's important that we really set our foundation on these two things. Women are equally made by God and women have equal access to God. The third thing I want you to see today is this. Women have been instrumental in God's plan throughout history. There are some who use God's word to say that women aren't important. They're going to sit in the back of the church. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to participate in any way. And we're just going to put them back there. And, and uh, when it comes time for a potluck, we'll break them out and have a good meal. Okay? That's not what God's word teaches. 
Now, I'm going to run through these quick because we just don't have time. I mean, it would take me an hour and a half to go through all these ladies' stories. But I've given you some blanks there so you can write down their names and look them up in your Bible app or in your Bible later. But I want you to see these women in both the Old and New Testament, how God has used them in really great ways. First of all, I want you to know about a woman named Ruth. Ruth was a widow who showed remarkable faith. She traveled a difficult journey with her widowed mother-in-law to live in Bethlehem. Despite her tremendous loss, Ruth firmly believed that God would provide for her. She's a model of bravery, faith, and obedience that all of us can learn many lessons from. It's a woman named Esther. Esther was a remarkable woman who put her own life at risk to save her people. She's an inspiring example of serving others under incredibly difficult situations. Her bravery and courage is still celebrated by Jews uh, during the celebration of Purim. There's Elizabeth. Elizabeth never had a child and was well past childbearing years when amazingly, uh, through the grace of God, she conceived a son. Her child became John the Baptist, the prophet who foretold the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Elizabeth is, is a beautiful example of how faithfully waiting on the Lord can bring miraculous blessings, and we could all learn that from her. There's Rachel. Rachel was a beautiful woman who was wronged by her father who deceptively arranged for Leah, Rachel's older sister, to marry Rachel's love, Jacob. Rachel persevered and patiently waited seven years to become Jacob's second wife. Unfortunately, Rachel had difficulty conceiving and competed with Leah over Jacob's love throughout her whole life. But her struggle is all right there in God's word, and it's a, it's a tremendous story. There's Hagar. Hagar experienced prejudice, injustice, and despair. She was Sarah's servant, and when Sarah could not have children, she gave Hagar uh, to her husband in the hopes Hagar would conceive. When Hagar became pregnant, Sarah grew jealous and threw her out of their home. An angel found her alone in the desert. He promised a blessing on her, on her child, naming him Ishmael, which means God hears. In response, Hagar declared, you are the one who sees me, Lord. There's Mary. Mary of Nazareth, the mother of Jesus, is a model of obedience and trust. She was just a teenager living her life when the unimaginable happened. The angel Gabriel appeared to her and announced she was chosen by God to give birth to the Messiah. She stayed faithful to Jesus his whole ministry, even to the cross and afterwards. When all the disciples left Jesus except John, there was Mary beside him, watching her son die for the sins of the world. There's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a repentant prostitute. What is clear from the Bible is that Mary Magdalene was, was healed by Jesus and she became a devoted follower the rest of her life. She ministered to both the disciples and to Jesus. And just so you know, there is virtually no credible research that shows that she was intimate with Jesus or married to Jesus or any other silliness that comes from recent fictional writers. There's Martha. She was a personal friend of Jesus. She and her siblings uh, lived in Bethany when Jesus and his disciples stopped at their house. During Jesus' visit, Mary stayed at his feet and listened to Jesus speak while her sister Martha was busy preparing and serving the meal. Frustrated, Martha asked Jesus to order Mary to help her. Jesus responded, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or really indeed only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her, the fact that she sat at the feet of Jesus and listened. There's Phoebe. 
Phoebe was a first century Christian woman mentioned by the Apostle Paul in his epistle to the Romans. She was a notable woman in the church of century Romans. Paul introduces Phoebe as his emissary to the church in Rome. And because they are not acquainted with her, Paul provides them with her credentials. And he says that she was actually a lady who was pretty well off financially and had ministered to many with her finances. Lastly, we see Priscilla. Priscilla, along with her husband, Aquila, they were first century Christian missionaries. Married, uh, they were a married couple and described in the New Testament, uh, as, uh, traditionally listed among the 70 disciples. They lived, worked, and traveled with the Apostle Paul, who described them as his fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They're mentioned six times in the New Testament. Three of those times, Priscilla's mentioned first. Three of those times, Aquila is mentioned first, which denotes their marital partnership in the ministry. So they ministered together to many people. Folks, anybody who says or thinks that women should not have an important role in the church of Christ are fooling themselves and writing a new, a new Bible. It's clear from God's word that women are important. Women here at Fellowship of Grace uh, fulfill many roles. This morning we saw uh, somebody pray, a woman pray. We saw a woman uh, uh, welcome us. We saw a woman uh, lead some singing. Uh, women have many roles in our church. Two of our officers of the, of the corporation, the Missouri Corporation, are women. Uh, women take uh, large leadership responsibilities in several ministries. Women hold many roles here at Fellowship of Grace. But I want us to spend just the last few minutes today talking about not swinging the pendulum too far. Because there are uh, churches that consider themselves Bible-believing, gospel-believing, evangelical churches who have now swung the pendulum so far as to say there are no differences between men and women. In both the home and the church, there are no differences. And so they are ordaining women as pastors, they are ordaining women as deacons, and giving them those offices in the church. And lastly, I want you to see today this, and that is abiding by God's roles does not minimize women's values. Quite often I ask people to, 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 to point out this, this uh, uh, principle to them. I ask them the question, who's more important, a teacher or a student? And they think for a minute and they go, oh, well, you know, the teacher knows a lot more. I, I bet maybe they're the most important. Oh, wait a minute. If there's no students there, how are they going to teach? And Well, maybe, maybe the student's more important because there's lots of them, but what are they going to do? Without, and they, they, they look back and they go, I don't know. I'm like, that's the right answer. The fact is neither one of them is more important. They just have different roles. They're of equal value, but different roles. The teacher without students is pretty much useless. She has nobody to invest all of her knowledge in. But a student without a teacher just sits there with no direction, with no information, not knowing how to, uh, to do whatever it is they're trying to do. And so the teacher and the student are both necessary. They're both quite important, but they still perform different roles. That's how God has set up men and women in both the home and in the church. I want us to spend the last few minutes today looking at this and understanding uh, this principle this principle, that this church uh, is going to stand by what God says as far as roles in the home and the church, but it doesn't minimize women's value. Because some would look at us and say, oh, see, you guys are, you guys are hiding beside, behind, uh, you guys are really misogynist, you're just hiding behind the Bible. Well, it doesn't matter what we think or believe, we're going to hide behind the Bible anyway because the Bible's true. 
And we're going to do what the Bible says. And so let's look and see what the Bible says in these two instances. First of all, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. Here's what it says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, whenever we talk about the roles of men and women, this is probably the key passage. And it's important that we understand clearly what it's saying. It never says, it never says, women be submissive to men. That is not in God's word. That is not a principle from God's word. And it never says that. It says, wives be submissive to one person, your own husband. And that word own means exactly what it's, you know what it means in Greek? It means own. One person, your very own husband, the one you're married to, the one you're connected to, that's the one you're supposed to submit to. It's not a general uh, societal comment. But men, we also have to remember that in that passage, while it says, wives, submit to your husband, look at the next three commands. Love your wives, love your wives, love your wives. Love your wives, love your wives, love your wives. Every one of these couples that I do premarital counseling with, I really take them into task and I say, okay, I'm going to ask her to, to learn to submit to you, to learn to submit to your servant leadership and let you be the spiritual leader of the home as God says. But listen, sir, you have got to love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. Three times more than she submits to you because frankly, you're three times more hard-headed. But, but folks, if you look at the passage, that's what it says. And then in the end, it says, wives, respect your husbands. You know why? You know how, how you can get your wife to, to stop having to submit to you and, learn, and she'll just follow you out of respect? You show her love, real, true, deep connected love I'm telling you guys that works that'll work but you got to do it so we see here that the woman's role in the home is to be the helper of the husband and by the way guys this doesn't mean that we get to be king of the castle this just means that 75% of all the problems in our house are because we stink as leaders we'll talk about that on Father's Day I hope you come back (sighs) Folks, it's clear that this is what God's word says. And so we want uh, women to accept that as the truth. Now let's look at some women's roles in the church very quickly. Uh, There's no rule about, about women participating in every act in the church except for those two offices, the office of pastor, elder, bishop, uh, shepherd, uh, overseer. All of those are synonymous words for the same office. And then the office of deacon. Let me show you very quickly. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Look what it says about the qualifications of elders, pastors. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. 
Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Now, there is not even one defendable example in the New Testament where a woman serves in the role of pastor, elder, bishop, shepherd. Okay? It doesn't mean that women are less of anything. It just means that men have been given the right by God uh, to serve. And, and folks, we, we have such a weird, turned upside down view of leadership. You know, we, we've all worked for companies where the boss man comes in and tells us what's what, and he, he throws around his, you know, his authority and tells us what to do, and we've all been mistreated. And so we've got this view that the leader is somehow the top dog barking orders. That's not God's leadership. That's not the way God, listen, when you want, you want to be the leader, that means you're the biggest servant. That means you're the one that loves the others more. You see Jesus uh, leading the disciples, he's washing feet. He's feeding them. He's taking care of them. He's watching out for them. They didn't, you know, overthrow him for any reason because they knew that he took good care of them. So we see here in this passage, this one phrase, uh, that a, an elder must be the husband of one wife. Now, ladies, there's just no way for you to do well, I guess in our culture there kind of is. But, but in naturally speaking, there's no way for a woman to be the husband of one wife. And it's a qualification of that office. And so for most churches, uh, this office of pastor, elder, overseer, shepherd, uh, they do believe that it's only for men. But then there's more confusion over the uh, office of deacon, and I want to show you why that is today. Uh, some of you uh, have heard this before as far as why, that, it, that, that we don't ordain women here as deacons, but I don't think it's been clear to you why we don't. Uh, and I'll show with you some of the confusion and why that is today. So let's continue in this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, is because it talks about the qualifications of deacons. It says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless." Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their, own, their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now again, we see this same qualification that deacons must be the husband of one wife. But there is a little bit of a confusion that takes place, and it mostly came about after the New International Version of the Bible came out. Uh, all of these translations that we have, folks, these English translations, are translated from the original language, Koine Greek of the New Testament. And uh, these uh, uh, translators have done their best job uh, to translate accurately God's word. I wouldn't question any of their hearts. 
However, uh, the NIV really kind of got this wrong and created a lot of confusion. Look at the NIV passage, the same exact passage, 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, and see if you can distinguish what's different in the NIV as opposed to what we read in the ESV, what's also in the King James New American Standard, all the other reputable uh, translations. Look what the NIV says, see if you can notice the difference. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Did you notice the difference? Really, it's one word, but it kind of changes a person's ability to interpret it. They change the word wives to the word women. Now, in all fairness, uh, th- that comes from a Greek word uh, called, it's, it's G-U-N-E, gune, uh, and it's the same for women, woman, lady, wife, or wives. So in other words, there's one, listen, if you know anything about languages, uh, you understand that if you, if you know a little bit of Spanish, there aren't the exact same number of Spanish words as there are English words. I almost said American words. Man, uh, I'm getting tired. And, uh, you know, they don't all have exactly a, a, a one-for-one uh, ratio. And so where the Greek word uh, has one word, uh, English has five words that can accurately be translated So if you were translating English back to Koine Greek, anytime you see one of these five words, you would write gune. I hope that is making some sense. Okay, So so what the NIV did is instead of using the word wives, which every other reputable uh, translation uses, they use the word women. So now when people read this, they go, oh, here are the the qualifications for men deacons. Here are the qualifications for women deacons. There's a problem with that understanding, though, Uh, a really severe problem. Because what it implies is, okay, so here are the qualifications for deacons, men deacons. Here are the qualifications for women deacons. Now, women deacons can be drunkards, because that's talked about up here. And men deacons can be malicious gossips, because that's talked about down here where it's talking about the women. So the men and the women have two totally separate and different uh, qualifications. Now, that doesn't mean make, make... Logic to any logical sense to anybody, and then look after it talks about the part about the women. Look exactly what it says. Uh, let me go right here. In the same way, the women are worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Then it says right after that. So if there is any confusion, a deacon must be faithful to his wife. There's no. I mean. I, that word should have been translated wives because what it's talking about there, folks, is uh, as, as pastor elders, uh, being the ones who basically uh, set the direction of the church when it comes to doctrine and theology and, and, and leadership and direction, our wives are not deeply involved in that, really. But for deacons who are ministering to the body, they're ministering to the people's needs, listen, those, those women are deeply uh, involved in that. And so what it's saying is, listen, deacons, as you're ministering to the body and you're finding out that these people are having financial problems and these people have got some problems with their homes and and these people are having some issues over here and you're helping all of these people, 
Don't let your wives be malicious gossips talking to everybody else in the church about it. Even though they're ministering with you, don't let them be that kind of person. Another confusing part that the NIV created uh, was in a passage in Romans 16.1. It says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Censoria. Now, many of my friends who disagree with me on this, pass, on this uh, topic will point right to this scripture and say, boom, there it is. Phoebe is a deacon. But keep in mind, this word deacon is a word gune, which can be translated five different ways. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the gune was the one about wives. This is the word diakonos. Uh, this is the word diakonos, deacon, the Greek word, and it can be translated as either deacon or servant or minister. And, and the NIV decided to translate it in this particular way as deacon because she serves one church. She's a servant of one church. But look at six, let's look at Romans 16.1, the same exact passage in the ESV, the English Standard Version, which we use here at Fellowship of Grace on a consistent basis. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Censoria. Every other uh, reputable translation uses the word servant here. And she was a great servant. We talked about her in that group of 10 women. Here's the problem. The NIV takes another passage that is almost exactly the same and uses the same word diakonos in Colossians 1.7 to describe a man and look how they translate it. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. So to be honest, they've been a little dishonest in their translation of the word deacon, assigning it to Phoebe, but not assigning it to Epaphras. Even if they were incorrect but consistent, they would have translated both of them as deacon. I share this with you folks because I want you to know that we go to a great deal of pain to learn and understand God's word, to apply it accurately, to understand it correctly. And just because women don't serve in the positions of pastor, elder here, and they don't serve in the position of deacon, although many of them who are deacon wives serve this church in an incredible way, it doesn't mean that we don't value women. It doesn't mean that we don't value mothers and so let's just understand, folks, that we at Fellowship of Grace value women here. The fact that we don't let them serve in two specific roles that the Word of God says they should not has nothing to do with whether or not we value them. And now I want to give you some bonus material. That's the end of the sermon, but don't leave because here's the bonus material. Okay, man, this is really for you. Don't let the ultra-feminists steal chivalry from us and teaching our sons to be gentlemen. Okay? I'm passionate about this because my grandson's sitting right over here. Listen, we don't open doors for women because they're dainty weaklings who don't have the strength to open a stinking door. We do it to show them honor and to show them preference to minister to them, to be the servant leaders that God wants us to be. We need to model and we need to teach our sons and our grandsons how to hold out a chair for a woman. We need to teach them to give their coat to a lady who's shivering. 
We need to teach them to give up their seat at a restaurant or uh, when using public transportation. When a lady comes on and you're sitting, you get up and give her your seat. Now, it's a little confusing for me now because I'm getting old enough that the ladies are getting up to give me their seat. We gotta figure, I, gotta, I gotta navigate all that stuff. I'm like, no, no, you, I'm not quite there yet. Have a seat, you're good. <laughs> Guys, we need to teach our sons when you walk down the street with a woman, you walk towards the traffic. Now, I don't think I'm Superman. If a car comes flying off the street onto the sidewalk, I know I'm not gonna stop it. It's just a matter of showing uh, my wife or my daughter or the woman that I'm with, that I honor them, that I honor them. I'm, I'm, I'm giving them preference. Guys, teach your son some manners. So when they go to their girlfriend's house for dinner, her parents don't wonder if he's been raised by wolves. And let me just say, dads, husbands, you are going to do the biggest teaching to your sons about how to value and treat women by how you treat their mother. There is no amount of talking or teaching that will overcome what you model. I know this is Mother's Day, but guys, if you don't show your wife, and listen, I don't even care if you're divorced, you should still show honor to their mother. If you don't do that, I want you to make a commitment today. I'm going to be different. I'm going to talk to her with respect. I'm going to give her preference. I'm going to give her honor. I'm going to stop flapping my gums and start modeling with my life to my sons how to honor women in our society. Don't let the ultra-feminists who have stolen what feminism started as, which was really to give women equal pay, which we're all in agreement with, I hope. Listen, they have stolen it to be something it's not, and that somehow when we show a woman honor, we're somehow minimizing her because we're not saying she's like us. Okay, she's more valuable than us. Let's just show them honor. Let's just do it. We value women around here. We value mothers around here. And so no matter what your relationship with your mother today if she is still living, call her and tell her you love her. Call her and tell her you appreciate what she did for you. Even if she wasn't perfect, even if she wasn't the greatest mother that's ever walked the planet, she did something right because you're still here. So call her and tell her, tell her today that you value her and that you honor her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your spirit that guide us. Father, we thank you that uh, we are not left to our own understanding of things but you have communicated to us through your word. God, help us in this church to value all people, all people. But God, help us today to really focus on valuing the women in our church, the women in our community, and especially the women in our family. Father, help us as men uh, to show them preference, to show them honor, to show them uh, really uh, how valuable they are to us and help us model well for our sons and for our grandsons. Help chivalry not die because others put political pressure on us in some weird way to not be kind to other people. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. 
Bless the moms that are here. Bless them with your uh, presence. Bless them with your blessing of life and just uh, uh, the feeling that you are with them. Help them to experience that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.